Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Steven Asentoski here of Engo Fish. Joining me, as always, Harry Hillman on this rainy, kind of dark Sunday afternoon. Harry, welcome back to the podcast. How is your Sunday going, my man? Uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, my sister graduated from uh, college yesterday. Ooh. So um, her, her boyfriend from college uh, came up. I met him for the first time. He's a really nice guy. Nice. Um, awesome dude. So we had a, like a family brunch earlier to kind of to celebrate. So, uh, Sunday has been going well, nice and easy, which, which is kind of how I like it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always, especially now when it's like rainy, it's like, I wouldn't be out doing anything anyways. Um, you know, I'm sitting inside, might as well have some, some crap weather outside. It was, uh, it was tough this morning though. I had a, I had a race planned for next week, like a company three and a half mile race. So I've been keeping up running training for that, even though obviously it's not going on. So I woke up, I woke up super early and then, uh, man, it is tough on a Sunday rainy morning to motivate yourself to run. I still did it, but, uh, man, it was like the toughest time I've ever had to (laughs) motivate myself to run, but, but got that done. So, so feeling good on my end as well. And now I can sit in here and look at the, the beautiful Harry Hillman here on my, on my computer. <laughs> oh yeah. The the nice thing is like I, I've never had to worry about like running on a rainy Sunday morning because the odds of me ever waking up on a Sunday before like eleven, eleven <laughs> thirty are, are so slim. Really the only way I'd be up before then is if I haven't gone to bed yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so regardless of, of the situation, I'm not I'm not running. Yeah. I'm I'm more of an evening runner, honestly. I, I like going around like six thirty to seven when it's a little little less humid, but yeah. you kind of get the uh, I'm running into the darkness sort of where like it's sort of sunset and then by the time I'm finished it's dark and like I don't know that that's just sort of the aesthetic that I, I think I prefer. That's fair. Running. That's fair. Given given the quarantine, um, I I prefer on the weekends in the morning just because no one's out and also i like running in the street it speeds me up for whatever reason especially when it's a race it makes me feel like it's actually a race um so i'll just like run in the center of the of the street at like 6 a.m on a sunday morning it's pretty relaxing but harry all right let's let's get into it we got a lot of topics here we're going to cover some recent 2021 crystal balls for michigan's football recruiting class we got some Jeff Percy talk after my latest episode of Recruit Review. We got some chatter of some high school uh, football coach drama that, that you have some inside scoop on. And then uh, got got a couple other topics if we can get to them. Um, but let's jump into a couple 2021 crystal balls. Um, Michigan's had quite a few people uh, reaching out on Twitter. And, and whenever there's a commit, especially on the defensive end, um, people upset about their recruits not being in the top 300 or top 247, whatever it may be. Some crystal balls recently from uh, Demetric Warren have hopefully alleviated some of that or will potentially alleviate some of that with some of these guys that he has crystal balled to Michigan. Let's start off with a a position of need that uh, we've talked about a lot, defensive tackle, talking about George Rooks here. He's a four-star defensive tackle outside of or out of St. Peter's Prep in New Jersey, 6'4", 260, right around 200 nationally, and number 12 defensive tackle. 
Um, I have a couple notes on him here. I want you to to tell me what you see with Rooks. How do you like his game? Where do you project him? If you know, obviously this is just a crystal ball, so he hasn't committed yet. But what about George Rooks' game? Do you uh, like to see? Well, first off, I think it's it's important that we um, put in sort of uh, in, in the editing process of this a little um, arrested development narrator that says. <laughs> It won't when you say, hopefully this alleviates some of the concern. <laughs> it won't. Now, I've already seen people saying, well, one of the services has like two of these guys as, as three stars. So really, how, how good that can they be? And it's like, oh, God. Well, a lot of people just looking to be unhappy. But yeah. uh, Rooks is actually the guy I've seen the, the least of. Okay. Uh, so I don't have a ton, but I do like his, his physicality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a really physical interior lineman. Um, the, the 260 actually excites me a lot. Six four two sixty yeah. is the frame that, that I think is very conducive to developing an elite defensive tackle at the next level in terms of you don't have to put on a ton of weight to get them ready. And they have the, the, the bulk, like he, he's a broad shouldered guy. Yeah. I would say even broader than, than most like six four two sixty guys. He, um, so he's a broad shouldered guy. He's got a thick neck, which yeah. for some reason, having a thick neck is, is my favorite, um, like attribute guys can have. I just <laughs> associate it with being a good football player. Um, it, it probably has no correlation whatsoever, but it's my personal preference. I only, I'd only recruit, um, linemen with either thick necks or giraffes. <laughs> If, like Jeff Percy, he was he's a skinny he was a skinnier guy. He had a bit of a giraffe neck. Yeah. I'd uh I either need giraffe necks showing they can put on a lot of weight or thick necks saying that they're they're ready to put on weight. So uh very hey, interesting. Just if... my little um <laughs> like kind of fever dream tangent, but Rooks is really good. He he has a high competition level in New Jersey yep. playing in those um those higher level New Jersey prep schools. He was uh, a, it's right now. It's looking like a battle between uh, Michigan, Penn State, and Notre Dame. So, just with those three schools, you can tell that he's pretty highly coveted. Yep. Um, academics probably play a pretty important role, as does uh, being in, in the having ties to the Northeast, where Notre Dame usually plays, like your Boston colleges and. Uh, Michigan and Penn State obviously come out and play Rutgers, and, and it's not that hard. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Rooks is, is good. I, I'd like to see um, a little bit more in terms of his pass rushing repertoire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's a good pass rusher on the high school level, but he, he does a lot of, of things that, that I would say the biggest drawback is he's just so good. He hasn't had to use – a lot of these other um, uh, techniques. He's got a great rip move. He's got a good bull rush. I I don't watch too much camp footage, so I haven't seen if there's any camp footage on him of him using like a, a deeper arsenal of moves. But that's not really like a critique in terms of he doesn't know them. It's more of a like put a pin in it. I'm not sure if he has them, but I'm not willing to say he doesn't because he hasn't had to use them. Yeah. If you don't have to use them, why use a move that's less effective at the high school level? 
Um, so in terms of college projection, it makes it a little tougher. Uh, something that I did like, he um, he played defensive end at least through his sophomore year in uh, in high school. Yep. So he was athletic enough. He's already in the, the bulking process. So um, big fan. Yeah, yeah, I, I did – I did notice a lot of his film was uh, at defensive end. I think he had a really good swim move, um, mm-hmm. and he could shuffle pretty well. So he, he tends to have longer arms. That might go with your neck theory, but he, it looks like he has a longer wingspan than most defensive tackles. So I think given his size, he's at 260. I think if he can fill out to 290 or so, he'd be an excellent three-tech. I don't see him as a nose guard or mm-hmm. that super interior guy. I think at three-tech, he could be... He'd be like a dream frame for for a three tech, but uh, short short term burst is really good. Once he gets past the line of scrimmage, his pursuit is is really solid from what I could see. So I didn't see a great first step. I was a little worried about that, but his his technique out of his stance, he doesn't get too vertical, so he he can really extend and use those arms well. So I think he needs to obviously add a bit to his frame. I think his long arms and like you said, he has pretty broad shoulders, so especially upper body that will help. And with that frame, it'll it'll help uh, put on that good weight. So I think that would be an excellent get. Obviously, we need all the defensive tackles we can. Um, if there's a guy who projects strictly towards the inside without being 300 pounds already, where weight is a factor, that's kind of a dream scenario and Rooks falls within that. So, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm really excited about that. Hopefully we can, we can close the deal there. Um, I think there's probably a lot of potential for earlier playing time given Michigan's kind of uh, doesn't have a whole lot of true interior guys. There's a lot of kind of projects at, at the, in the current roster there. So could be a factor in his recruitment as well. Okay, let's yeah. let's move on to Junior Colson. He's a four-star outside linebacker out of Ravenwood High School in Tennessee. 6'2", 230, 128 nationally in composite, so obviously very highly rated, number 10 outside linebacker overall. His offer list is pretty impressive. LSU, Michigan, Ole Miss, Oregon, obviously Tennessee from being from that state. Um to me, he seemed like a souped-up version of Osmond Savage. I've been watching a lot of Osmond Savage recently uh, for Recruit Review. Um, he's like a – so Colson is hyper-athletic guy, like a jumbo safety kind of jumps out at you in that regard. Um, I think he runs like a 4 7 40 or, or around there. So uh, Michigan, I, I noticed with Osmond Savage, with uh, Nikai Hill-Green as well of the 2020 class – pushing for a lot of these higher athletic linebackers. Obviously, Don Brown can can flaunt Devin Bush, can flaunt you know where Charles Thomas is projecting. So there's lots of guys within that mold already on Michigan's roster. They're deploying very well. So I think that's got to be a huge factor for Colson. What, what have you seen about his play? So one thing that, that I definitely wanted to ask you about, mm. do, you, do you think he'll, he'll be projected for, for actual linebacker? Or do you think he, he's more of a Viper candidate? No, I think he's a will. I think he's for sure a will. Um, okay. just I, be- I tend to lean towards I have no idea, but I think you're right. Yeah, just because I think for a Viper, you definitely want them to be like a safety that is too linebackery to be mm. a true safety. Like uh, I want my my Viper to be like a 5'10", 5'11", little rocket of a safety that maybe is like a little too stiff to make it at like a true safety position. And I think that's kind of how they're recruiting the positions as well, where the safeties are more true safeties. And any of those 
like shorter, stockier kind of guys that maybe aren't as fluid in pass coverage, those are your true Vipers. So that's like your Jordan Morant, maybe your RJ Moten are kind of guys that fall within that range who are more on the safety line than a linebacker line. But I do think they're making a huge push for these like 6'2", 6'3", extremely rangy linebackers to deploy either as a true will or if they kind of explode in size just build another Josh Uche. That's kind of like, that's kind of like where I see them. Um, and I think junior Colson is like, if, if, uh, Osman Savage was a top 150 guy, it's exactly what you see with Colson. So the pass coverage, especially range sideline to sideline, um, just a freak athlete. And there's no reason to like, I, I, they see it with Colson, obviously, because he's that highly recruited. But if there's a linebacker that maybe is 210, 215, that's kind of between positions of safety and linebacker, Michigan's a great spot for that, where um, that position especially is is kind of losing its positional space, kind of like where Viper has grown into a legit role that a lot of programs are gravitating towards. I think you're starting to see that with linebackers as well of just get me this athlete who can play multiple positions there. And I think that's a, that's a really spot on analysis. Um, I, I think and part of why I think Viper wouldn't be the best move unless they made some schematic shifts to what they expect out of their Vipers. Uh, personally, I think, um, Junior Colson's best ability is his is his blitzing ability, yeah. his blitzing quickness, and his ability to get downhill and find the holes and get skinny through them, mm-hmm. which isn't always something that like a 6'2", 220, 225-pound interior um, linebacker would be as proficient at. Right. There's a lot of – like he's able to – quickly analyze what kind of blocking scheme the the offense is, is running and he's a great looper loops twists uh coming inside coming outside finding the holes and, and quickly getting to the quarterback and um so unless in, in that's that's why i was wondering in, unless they were going to use a viper more like don brown did with Kalik hudson against uh minnesota a couple years ago where it's basically all like um like a blitzing linebacker, um, then I, I agree with you that he he's a will, um, yeah. but he's he's really good. The um, the ranginess is something I didn't expect to see. Yeah, um, he's kind of a I I struggled to find things that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I I'm not sure I really found any. Everything I found was was basically oh like sometimes he strides a little too long like in coverage gets a little like over the top but it doesn't even matter because he's so good yeah. that I'm sure once he's coached up a little bit it'll be fixed I I think he's a stud yeah I think he he's he might be one of the top guys from the crystal ball list where I've been really really excited. Um, this next guy, Jaden hood, we covered a little bit, um, a couple podcasts ago, I believe. So he's the four star inside linebacker who recently transferred to St. Thomas Aquinas, six, one, two, 12. He's right around 300 on the, on the two, four, seven composite overall number 11 inside linebacker. Um, not as impressive of a offer list as junior Colson. Um, but still has the likes of Miami, um, Minnesota does have an offer from Alabama. We talked about whether that's committable or not, but uh, good offer list 
um, very good and someone I think would be be great. And he's he's his explosiveness is is more as an inside linebacker. His ability to come up on a rolling out passer or I guess his straight line speed more than his hips, but his straight line speed of pursuit is insane. Um, so any quick notes about hood? I know we don't want to belabor the point. Yeah. <laughs> and this is hood and Colson. Yeah. The lead recruiter for both of them, Brian Jean Marie. He's killing it. He's killing it. Just in case you were out there thinking, well, does Jim Harbaugh still know what he's doing? It's like, Oh Wow. So you're telling me that the guys that Jim Harbaugh brings in in their first year as a coach after they build the relationships will be able to get two four-star studs at linebacker. I mean, that's that's probably been my favorite thing I've seen. Yeah. The fact Gene Marie is has been able to, to go into uh, Florida and Tennessee and at least get Michigan in a position to close on these kids. I know they haven't committed yet, but I think – at least reading the tea leaves, you would be remiss to say that, that they haven't done a really, really good job. Uh, this, this is around the time of the cycle that, that the out-of-region kids start to commit a little bit more once um, the classes start to take shape. So really exciting to see Jean-Marie uh, recruiting at a high level. Um, and I'm excited to see both of these players commit to Michigan. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I don't <laughs> my least favorite thing is to get ahead of myself here, but uh I mean Michigan's got multiple uh multiple crystal balls on both of those guys. Um none other for those two. George Rooks is a little bit more split between Notre Dame and uh Penn State along with Michigan, as you said. So with Colson and Hood, there was always like a, a little bit of, of chatter once the um and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more once the Jamari Budin stuff started mm-hmm. going there's always a little bit of chatter that um that there was kind of a reason that they felt so comfortable cutting ties they, they felt very very good about uh hood and colson okay interesting um okay and then one more recruit we should talk about here quinton somerville so it's a he's a strong side defensive end uh you mentioned harry's list he's listed at 6 1 that's probably a little bit outdated. Could expect that to be closer to six two or six three, maybe two forty or so. So um, he's out of Scottsdale, Arizona. He is right at about hundred nationally, top tens strong side defensive end, number three out of the state of Arizona. His offer list is pretty impressive. He's got the likes of Arizona State, Florida State, Georgia, Utah. I know you're a huge fan of guys who are recruited by Utah. Oh yeah. <laughs> So this is a, uh, a Sean Nua and Jay Harbaugh. Um, th- those are the primary and secondary recruiter um, for uh, for Somerville here. So his, I, I haven't gotten to watch film yet. He his projection is as a day three NFL guy. Um, he seems to be a pretty polished pass rusher right now. He has some some pretty good counter moves. Um, give me your initial uh, analysis of Quentin Somerville, Harry. I, I really love uh, Quentin Somerville. I think he might be of the, the four guys we talked about today. I think he might be my favorite. Hmm. Um, you were talking about George Rooks, how one of the, the things you wanted to see a bit more of was, was an elite first step. Hmm. Um, that's something Quentin Somerville has. Okay. Uh, Quentin Somerville has a, I wouldn't. I don't want to say like Mo Hurst esque first step because that's like top tier attributes, but 
he's got a really fir- quick first step, really powerful, really um, – it's not even something that you notice too, too much. It's oh, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, now he's into his moves because that step was quick and he was able to get by uh, well. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure in, in terms of the fit. If he's close, I, he could be someone that may end up playing inside. Hmm. Um, I could see it. But I also would like to see him start on the edge. 6-1, 6-2 is a little short for a pure pass rusher. So I could see if they were maybe recruiting him more for that Josh Uche role uh, because he is an athletic guy. Um, he is a, a great pass rusher um, and someone maybe that you don't want um, necessarily taking on double teams from 325-pound-plus interior linemen. Sure. Um, so I think that um, his fit, I think there are a lot of places he can fit. I would say this is probably about as close to – uh, an Uche role to be able to project as you can get without them being like an actual like outside linebacker. Interesting. So he, he's played some defensive tackle in in high school. He's played some defensive end. There are some uh, clips of him uh, dropping back into uh, zone uh, where he looks comfortable enough. Uh, Quentin Somerville is, and and what I also really like is when he he was listed in the top one like 25 nationally at six one yeah so so considering how much of an emphasis 247 puts on projection you have to be a pretty talented kid to be six one and rank that highly this late in the cycle and he's he's also kind of an under scouted kid uh i don't think rivals or espn has a uh has a grade on yeah yeah, I don't. I don't see many guys out of Arizona, honestly. <laughs> I, at least not ones that Michigan are going after. So, um, but you're right. I, I was only able to find um, some information from him on on two four seven. So, and another thing I really love to see. I know you have have a thing with Utah specifically, like defensive backs. You really like to see. I think Utah recruits extremely well. Like kind of an under the radar uh, team. I, I trust a lot of that. I like the Georgia offer. I like to see that. Um, he does have LSU. He does have o- Ohio State. Those are uh, listed as cool on his program, so not sure how active they are. But I love to see – this is one personally. I love to see a Stanford offer. If, mm-hmm. they, if I yeah. see a Stanford offer or a Northwestern offer, that means he's someone who's not likely to transfer due to academics or anything like that. It means he's that much more likely to pick up the nuances of a defense. He also has Vanderbilt. So, again, that's another program where you know maybe not the top – um, athletic prestige there, but Vanderbilt and Stanford are programs. Same with UCLA. Those programs that um, are tougher to hack it in the classroom. So that shows that, uh, you know, given the chance, he, he'd be a plus in that regard as well. My favorite offer, though, he lists. So he goes, Ohio State offer, Florida State offer, Utah, Stanford, UCLA, mm-hmm. and then Idaho. Idaho. I like the last school to just hop in and, and with the confidence to say, oh, well, you know what? We'll, we'll give you an offer. Like, yeah, yeah, I guess. Like, there's probably no shot of you coming here, but I don't know. Maybe like you get multiple felonies. We'll we'll bring you in. Um, so just the confidence of Idaho to, to walk in. I mean, I don't even think they're FBS anymore. Are they? I I, I think they dropped down. Really? So the confidence of them to uh to waltz right into uh 
Quentin Somerville's living room and drop that offer. That's amazing. I'm a Vandal fan from now, man. They 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 have zero listed 2021 commits. Um, very interesting. I I'm curious to see what the highest Idaho commit of all time is. I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but um, but but I do love that. I if this guy goes anywhere other than Michigan, I now want it to be Idaho. Hundred mm-hmm. <laughs> percent. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh let's shift gears here. Let's talk about Jeff Percy. This is a guy I covered on episode six of Recruit Review. Six seven, now six eight, right around that size. Massive human being. Out of high school, he was six or two sixty. Uh he's up to three hundred confirmed by Harry, confirmed by Jeff Percy's dad, Jeffrey Percy, in my Twitter mentions. Um phenomenal athlete. I think I'm convinced now that he's the get of the 2020 class after scouting him. Um, all the intangibles are there. I not much more I can say without sounding like a complete Homer here, but uh, man, what, what a fun, what a fun recruit to cover. And it felt like a steal because if this guy has the frame that he ha- already has now and one more year of high school football, at offensive tackle, he's a top fifty recruit. Easy. No one, no one that athletic with that frame um, and the intangibles he has goes without a top fifty rating. I'm convinced of it. Um, so Michigan, obviously, he got in on that um, and, and was able to pull in a guy who will be walking into his freshman year already at that frame and um, just an insane get. Harry, I want to want to get your take. I know you talked a lot with the Percy family. Um, talk a little bit about Jeff and what Michigan is getting with him. Yeah, so hearing you say that kind of kind of gives me like butterflies because I originally wrote my very lofty scouting report when Jeff Percy was like ranked like eight seventy five nationally. Yeah. So I'm like, man, like I don't know, am I like way too high on this kid, or am I just seeing something? I'm like, oh no, like I was actually right. Like I'm like hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, but. He he will be redshirting next year. Yeah. Uh, that, that's confirmed. Uh, most people could assume that. Um, that's part of his development plan. Uh, the goal for him is is to walk into Michigan between 300 and 305. His um, he, he's strong. He's athletic. What I loved most about watching him was and and, and the. This is part of the benefit of scouting guys that that play for some of these big programs. Um, a lot of the times, when, when you're sort of based more on on the film side and you're not able to go see these guys perform in camps, um, it, it's mostly highlight films. And the nice thing about guys like Jeffrey Percy or Blake Corum or Nakai Hill Green or Osmond Savage, they play for big nationally. Uh, relevant high school programs with a lot of games on ESPN, ESPN two, ESPN three, or like a, a Fox sports uh, syndicate where you're able to, to really see the whole game in, in review. Um, and you're able to see their mistakes. And I think what's really important in, in a lot of guys is seeing how they make mistakes, why they made that mistake and, and where it comes from. Right. And a lot of Jeffrey Percy's mistakes stemmed from, from just, uh, like inexperience at, at the tackle position. Yeah. And, and they were mistakes that he, he fixes almost in, in real time as you're watching a game from September, his, his game in October, he, he finishes it up. 
yeah. right? I agree with all the things you said. Hand placement sometimes gets a little wide. His punches kind of sometimes land around the shoulder pads where uh, it's not really an issue in high school because those guys are going down ASAP. But, uh, but in college, that's sort of how you, you can get some of those holding penalties. But the thing I, I loved more than anything was, was really seeing the, uh, the bend in his knees and his stance. That's something that, that with offensive uh, linemen, their ability to um, put on good weight almost specifically correlates to their uh, hip flexibility and their hip coordination um, in their lower body. Uh, even when he was at 255, 260 pounds, uh, Percy had what, what we in the business like to call the Z in his knee. It was a really sexy Z, right? It was, it was, Look like, at that Z. <laughs> it, it was like OL porn out there. And, and his physicality was, uh, was superb at, at times. I'm not sure if in your recruit review, um, because my internet was a little choppy. I'm sure you probably covered it, but the, uh, the Amin Vanhover clip. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't call it out by, uh, by, yeah. by name, but yeah, I definitely included that I, one. Yeah, it was, um, that, so for those that don't know, Amin Vanhover was, um, is a high three-star defensive end committed to Penn State. Uh, in his first game of, uh, uh, the year this year, he, uh, he put Amin Vanhover, he drove him 15 yards yeah. down the field, pancaked him, and after Vanhover was just doing your, your typical, like, high school trash talking nothing like rude nothing to not trying to say like i mean van hover is, is anything but yeah, just no. a good football player yeah. but when, when a good football player is able to just that that that's sort of because on previous episodes we've talked about there there being a clip here or there that, that really just shows you the potential in the ceiling that that shows you everything you need to know about a prospect yeah and that play shows you really everything you need to know about jeffrey percy in terms of it's all there yeah. Okay. He hasn't played a ton of offensive tackles, so he, he's not able to to do it play after play right now. Yep. But the ceiling is there. The uh, it, I think it's the highest ceiling in the class. I think that um, he's someone that if he develops is a surefire first round pick. And like if he develops the way I think. Right. If he if he hits his uh, like goals, I think he'll be a first rounder just because that athleticism doesn't go away. Yeah. Right. So his just ability to like hone in on Vanover, great punch, drive him and then like finish it and like keep playing. That was like a, a sight to see. Yeah. There's just, there's so much ceiling there. There's so much like talent there. Obviously he's still got to like work his butt off when he gets to Michigan because like none of that other stuff means really anything when it comes to who's going to play but um but just to go off of what we were talking about the 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 flashes are incredible and the mistakes are and i don't want to say like they're okay but they stem more from inexperience and learning a new position rather than um than bad habits right yeah yeah, and I and I like I like a couple things about kind of his high school path where he transferred from Matter Day to Jay Sarah. I'm sure part of that was knowing that his transition to offensive line was a potential item and obviously uh oh what's his name? I, I should know the head coach name at Jay Sarah. Jay Sarah. 
Yeah, Pat Harlow. Pat Harlow. Of course, USC and NFL uh, legend um, as an offensive lineman. So obviously that's part of it, but it was also academically driven transfer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really important. Obviously choosing Michigan, he's very interested in academics as well. So I, I mentioned these things just because he went through a position change in some of the highest level high school play you can have as well as academics focused, those are things that you're going to have adversity when learning a new position. That's just tough overall. Changing changing positions is not easy. So building that, uh, a high academic prestige uh, pursuit, both in high school and college, these are things that raise your floor quite a bit on how, how are they going to realize that ceiling. So when even with negatives that you see in any of the film, especially when it's tied to a position change, you look at sort of those other intangibles to see, okay, how close will he actually get to that ceiling? And the ceiling isn't capped by anything physical. And that's, that's the, like, there are no real physical limitations. So when you add those intangibles up with those physical attributes, that's, I think what, what makes both of us pretty, pretty excited about him being uh, a pretty close bet to realize that ceiling. And I think Ed Warner's a, a match made match made in heaven for him to actually get there. So, so really excited about that again, check that up. Yeah, go ahead, Harry. I was saying Ed was, was a, was a big to ended up at Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. You still there? Quality offensive line, like craved. Like he, like one of the um, Oklahoma, they were big fans of Bill Benball, who, who I think is is one of the the finest the line coaches in the uh, uh, in the country. Mm. Um, and really speaking to the academic, the only SEC school he really considered was actually Vanderbilt. Mm. So he he's got a genuine. Um, I, I don't think where a lot of recruits, I think sometimes the academic side kind of gets blown out of proportion a bit just because they're getting recruited by like a Michigan or a Notre Dame where it's like, well, yeah, but those are mostly great football. Um, I, I think, I think the, the Percy's aren't, uh, aren't kidding around. I, I think academically there is dialed in and, and focused on, on Jeff's 40 years after college as they are his four years in college. So um, final thing I'll say about Jeff Percy that I like is he seems pretty realistic. Obviously the staff, is telling him the path of red shirt. And I like that they're receptive to it. Obviously there are guys who can come in and, and play right away. I think that's very rare on offensive linemen, but obviously playing time is a, uh, is a big priority, but it shows that they're realistic in his path. Obviously only having a couple of years of experience that just shows that they're grounded and that they've thought things through. And that's just really important. That's important to be grounded, to know your path, to know your, uh, you know, your projection and understanding what's best for uh, your career. So that, that just shows a lot that they're pretty, pretty well in tune with uh, what his skill set is, where he needs to grow and what value that a recruiting class can add. Yeah. I think it's, his floor is Eric Magnuson. I think that's yeah. our floor. And yeah. if that's a pretty solid floor to have, just like if, if he doesn't get any better really or minimally better i think he'll still be like a two-year starter like right or left tackle yeah yep okay let's uh let's shift to some chatter you wanted to bring up i know there has been i've seen it just on twitter i have no idea what's going on but it's it's 
the first bit at least that I have seen is around the Belleville uh, High School football program, mm-hmm. specific, specifically with their uh, head coach. That there's some drama there. That um, I don't know between the Michigan coaching staff and their coaching staff. So Harry, can you fill us in on kind of what's going on there and what it kind of means for recruiting out of Belleville? high school obviously a top program in michigan but what is the impact there um i I believe the impact will end up resulting in michigan essentially uh putting a do not recruit towards any player on belleville as long as uh jermaine crowell is is still the head coach now jermaine crowell and and harbaugh it's been pretty clear and rumored that that there is some form of animosity there uh, recently from from something I, I've read online and then from asking a couple people about it. Um, what what I can surmise is that uh, – so Crowell, if, if you'll remember, used to be the, uh, the head coach at Cass Tech in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And there were some issues in, in Cass Tech kids in, in Michigan prior to that. Um, now, now, okay, so fast forward a little bit. He's at Belleville. Yep. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is at uh, Michigan. Apparently, from what I've heard, they go out and um, see a Belleville practice, and they are incredibly like let down by, by how poor it is. Okay. Now, from what I understand, the relationship between Harbaugh and Crowell was already tenuous at best. Sure. Now, Harbaugh then – goes to um in front of his like team at the next practice sort of insinuates that he saw a a bad high school program uh he he knows some of those guys come from uh crappier programs or didn't get it as good of coaching so he understands that's why they made some of the mistakes they did okay none of that's really an issue insofar as um that got back to crowd now if you were to look I, i would surmise this probably happened in probably late 2017 okay Mm -hmm. 2017 michigan goes eight and four um they don't have any belleville kids on their roster yeah okay so you might be thinking like okay like where does this come from like why like how would it get back to them and the answer would be from when crowell was at cast tech sure now if you you look at the, the 2017 recruiting there there are two guys from cast tech in that 2017 recruiting class both, I think it's fair to say, had, had pretty inauspicious uh, careers at, at Michigan. Yep. They would be Donovan Peoples-Jones and Jalen Kelly-Powell. Yep. Now, Jalen Kelly-Powell, um, I believe, transferred out, right? Uh, I, I believe he did, yes. I, yeah, I believe he's in the transfer portal. Now, what's important to, to note, Jalen Kelly-Powell's dad has been Isaiah – or not Isaiah Crowell's um, – Jermaine Crowell's like right-hand man for a few years. So he's on staff at Belleville right now. Donovan Peoples-Jones, they, there were there was some smoke. I don't know where it stems from, but some smoke about displeasure between him and the uh, the Michigan coaching staff. Really talented guy, but taken in the, the sixth round this year. And from all from all intents and purposes, um, people said he was he was trashing Harbaugh in his in his combine interviews. And Jim Harbaugh, for, for all of his faults, is, is highly, highly respected in the NFL and by NFL head coaches and in his ability to develop players to the next level. There are reasons that elite organizations take Harbaugh players so highly. 
yep. the New England Patriots, the Green Bay Packers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, the Dallas Cowboys, all elite, uh, historic football organizations. The Baltimore Ravens, but that connection's a little bit uh, less about Jim Harbaugh and more about uh, John's access. Sure. Right? So I, I would put that as a little bit different. Right. So, so if you were to connect the dots on here, then instead of it just being former Belleville players, I think it's fair to say that there was, there was some disconnect in, in the relationship between Crowell and Harbaugh that, that filtered over into Harbaugh's relationships with his team. He, if I were to posit a guess, and, and this is all sort of speculation, none of this is, um, I have a source that confirmed this is absolutely what happened. It's it's all kind of hearsay right now. Sure. But to me, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Whereas if you were to look at Jalen Kelly Powell and Donovan Peoples-Jones' careers at Michigan, neither of them were, were, were bad, but they were all kind of like, I thought both would be doing a lot better. Both yeah. kind of seemed a little displeased. Both um, sort of left after three years in kind of a, uh, like what could have been fashion. And so if I were to posit my guess, I would say that there are that there were players under Harbaugh's tenure that had more loyalty to their former high school head coach than their college coach. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that as, as a bad thing on those players. There are a lot of guys who, who love their high school coaches and everything they've done for them and like are loyal to them. Yeah, like, that, that happens pretty frequently. Yep. It, it might have been a miscalculation on Harbaugh's part that it wouldn't get back to Crowell. Right. And apparently from there, it, it escalated into more animosity from Crowell to Harbaugh. Mm -hmm. And then eventually built up to the point that Harbaugh actually um, responded with some um, animosity of, of his own. Okay, sure. so, so it really seems like it's, it's two egos. I'm not saying either right or wrong. Yeah. But from the looks of it, it seems like just at this point, Jim Harbaugh, no matter how talented the players out of Belleville will be, it just does not seem worth it in his eyes to go into Jermaine Crowell's program to try and recruit them because it will not go well for him. That's sure. not to say Crowell is actively telling players that Michigan is horrible. Because I think that's probably a little misguided. That would make him lose credibility to his players. But in terms of it, in terms of recruiting guys, the high school players give the access for the first couple of years, or the high school coaches. Yeah. So it's all about which coaches you're letting in into your office to talk to guys during their uh, study periods, uh, before school, right after school, before practice. They're able to come see practice. It's all about access. So if Michigan's going to have significantly less access at Belleville than Ohio State, than Michigan State, than Kentucky, than Cincinnati, than uh, probably Penn State at this point, probably than Notre Dame, then they're not only um, recruiting against those schools, they're recruiting against the notion that, that Belleville has with Michigan. Right. And that's kind of a losing strategy to have. Now, if for some reason a top five player nationally were to pop up at Belleville next year, yeah, I'm pretty sure Michigan would put on the, the full court press and, and try and do everything that sort of circumvent that relationship. 
It worked with Andre Seldon. Andre Seldon's a Belleville kid. Yep. Um, but Andre Seldon's dad was also a huge Michigan fan and a very influential figure in his life uh, in terms of he, he knew how to play the, the recruiting game. Right. right? Andre Seldon Sr. Is, is a savvy vet in the recruiting game. Okay. So he was able to – they were able to circumvent that relationship with Andre Seldon. With a lot of these guys, Jermaine Crowell is that driving force for them personally. Right. So, and by the way, I if if I'm wrong on this, I'm wrong. I could be, but it's all conjecture that that I've heard at, at one point or another. Uh, I, I can tell you there there is real legitimate drama there. None of it is um, is it, it is a fact that they do not like each other. Yeah. Okay. I am merely like speculating on where the source of that animosity and that strained relationship came from. Because at this point, it really does seem like um, it's kind of like two – it seems like a pissing match at this point. Yeah. Like a sixth-grade pissing match. Now, to, to Harbaugh's credit, he uh, he gave Sean New a Belleville to try and repair that relationship. He is actively working towards it. But it, it may be at the point where there's just too much – animosity between Crowell and Jim Harbaugh for it to ever uh, be anything but kind of like a, a black hole recruiting wise for Michigan. Sure. I think that's part of the reason. And we've seen it with Jamari Budin. He has uh, been pretty um, trying to think of the, the right term to say um, negative towards Michigan in the last couple days, the last couple weeks. He, yeah. uh, he mentioned that uh, Michigan no longer wanted him in the recruiting class. Uh, he had an Instagram live where he uh, he said he wasn't going there, and he said Donovan Edwards wasn't going there. Now, from everything I've heard from Sam Webb, from people I've talked to, Jamari Budin probably doesn't really know what he's talking about in terms of the Donovan Edwards thing. Donovan Edwards may not go to Michigan, but I doubt it's any information that Jamari Budin knows at this point. Sure. So. Um, so that's, that's sort of where we stand. Um, and, and we kind of see with, with Jamari Budin, it looks like now that Colson and Hood are, are looking really good, it's looking like Tyler McLaurin might've been sort of the, the plan B to Jamari Budin, right. where, where they told Jamari Budin, where they like Tyler McLaurin enough to tell Jamari Budin, listen, like recruit now, or, or we're going to fill your spot. Right looking like he didn't want to commit now. So they were willing to fill that slot with a player that they thought may not have been as talented, but may cause significantly fewer issues down the road. Now there's also a theory out there that Jamari Budin tried to commit to Michigan several months ago. They were not ready to accept his commitment and tried to put him on uh, the slow burner. If that's the case, this may have backfired a little bit on Michigan it's none of it is disastrous by any stretch of the imagination. All of this happens in recruiting. Jim Harbaugh is not the only coach to not accept players' commitments. I guarantee you, Mel Tucker, Ryan Day, and uh, James Franklin, Brian Kelly. I would bet all of these players, the coaches, have a uh, slow played commitments that they've received in the last couple weeks. Yeah, last couple of months. Yeah, and I, I mean it has legs because what was it? Was it the 2018 class where you had Devonte Dobbs as well as? Uh, the other fellow Belleville player, Barnett. yeah, Julian Barnett, both those yep. guys at Michigan State. So 
those are guys, especially with the way the Michigan State had been trending in, in the past couple of years, those are guys that traditionally, if they're in the state of Michigan, Michigan usually gets. So that was the thing where it's it, a ton of people were asking, why isn't Michigan going after these guys? And, well, what's the common theme b- between them? They're from Belleville, and there's a contentious relationship there, right? So if, if – and that's right in the thick of when they're dealing with, you know, these potential – um, you know, character issues or, or contentious relationships within the program themselves. So it now there is there is one more point of that that, that I want to bring out that, that directly correlates actually to 2018. And that mm. would be who left after 2017? Good question. Who left the program after 2017? I don't know. A highly respected Detroit recruiter, Ty Wheatley. Oh, uh... Yeah. So Ty Wheatley was the middleman on all of these. He was a Detroit legend. He was the guy that was able to go into these schools that had the, maybe some of the animosity towards Harbaugh, and he was able to smooth it out. And he was great at it. Yeah, He's a great recruiter. Um, I, I'm, I don't know or want to speculate as to why he left Michigan. Sure. There's rumors out there. If, if you want to know them, go Google them. You can find them. Um, but the, the fact that they lost their Detroit recruiter, I think caused their, um, their relationship at several, um, Detroit high schools to fizzle out. Now, Devonte Dobbs, um, he was, he was offered as a defensive end by Tim Drevno. That apparently really upset him sure. that the offensive line coach didn't even know that they were recruiting him at offensive tackle. Um, Julian Barnett, I have no idea about. Um, but I would assume that that's probably the, the Crowell uh, Belleville thing more so than anything. Yeah. But um, yeah, there, there's a lot there. It's, there's never just one thing. The, uh, because from what I understand, Crowell and, um, and Wheatley had a good relationship, even if Crowell and Harbaugh weren't the biggest fans of each other. When, when you're not a big fan of someone and the guy you trust big time on staff is, is whether he was like kind of uh, shown the door or felt it was his time to leave, that'll cause you to lose trust in general that, that they don't want what it means to be like an athlete from Detroit in their program. Sure. You can make some of those um, some of those like connections right there. Um, again, I, I don't know how much of that is, is real. I don't know how much of that is just conjecture, but adding up the pieces, the the loss of, of Ty Wheatley um, as, as a coach, as an in-state recruiter, because remember, he, he cleaned up 2016. Yeah. 2016 and 2017, he cleaned up in-state, absolutely dominated. Since then, not nearly the same. Okay. Yep. By the way, if you wanted to make the argument that that Michigan isn't a state that's as talented that they, they don't they shouldn't be like straight targeting just most of their state. I'm okay hearing that argument. I'm yeah. not saying that it's it was in their best interest to recruit 15 kids every year from the state of Michigan, okay? Because it very well might not be. But if if that's the route you're going to go, you also have to be okay with losing maybe one or two of the the top end guys because you don't have that uh, subsequent Detroit pipeline. Yeah, and that could have been a case where, too, Michigan's looking at the future roster, right? Looking at the freshman class and seeing what do our recruiters need to look like in order to pull in this certain class. 2016 class out of Michigan 
was good. That was a very good, historically good, you could argue, uh, talent within the state of Michigan. Recently, it hasn't had as much um, of that. But again, it, it combines with, you know, do we have the pull from Florida like we like we do now with uh, with BJM, the uh, the guy who, who's pulling J- Jaden Hood and Junior Colson, George Rook. So, um, so yeah, it, it's all about relationships when it comes down to recruiting, as you said, and and it's something to navigate. It's not a killer, but obviously, uh, we'll see moving forward how it affects Belleville recruiting, and it'll it'll be like the program to watch on. Um, you know, if elite athletes are coming out of there, how Michigan approaches that, whether they try, whether they try to take a different approach. Um, but that, that'll be interesting moving forward. So there's, um, just, I think you said 2016 was the, uh, European class. I think 2015, 2017 was, uh, on when you, um, uh, Quinn and, um, one other player, but so just looking through, they haven't had a ton of outrageous success with Detroit guys. 20, just going through 2017, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I would call that a C. Just yeah. He was productive, but a lot of potential left on the table. Ambry Thomas, that's a hit. Um, and then you have Josh Ross, that's good. But then James Hudson, mm-hmm. Deron Bay, Jalen Kelly-Powell, Corey Malone-Hatcher, Jeraymond Hall. That's a lot of uh, – Philip Paya. That's, that's true. That's a lot of guys that really just kind of like – had inauspicious careers that, that left after like Pia didn't, but a lot of the other guys left after within like a year and a half. Yeah, that's true. On paper, they were all hits. Um, on paper, it was incredible. Yeah. But it's like, if, if your goal is, is to recruit them for the four to five years that they're going to be there, as opposed to just recruiting them and then playing them, then sometimes it may be a, a, like that if, you're evaluating them as maybe not the best fit for your program. I can see why you might even be a little bit lower on, on in-state guys and sure. partially where Penn state has been able to find their niche in state. Yep. Yep. Okay. This is actually a great transition into the final, final thing I want to cover that you, you brought up. I put together a list here um, going through the 2018 Michigan football recruiting class. So this was, this was Michigan's lowest re- ranked class since what probably the transition class from uh, uh from hope yeah, to harbaugh 2015 but 2015 i think only had like 12 commits yeah so this is this is definitely a blip where most most of the time michigan's hovering around number 10 nationally and this class i think was around 22 um overall in the composite um and that's a class that had 20 total commits so definitely from like a ranking perspective um lower rated um where i know the years are like before and after Michigan was, was top 10 for sure for 2017 and 2019. Um, but when, when walking through this class, Michigan is hitting on close to half. And I would say major hitting on uh, at least five to six, depending on, on who you're, you're calling a major hit. And then there's only real five or six guys that aren't panning out or aren't living up to their rating. Um, so it ties well with what you're saying about, you know, that, that in-state Michigan class that had Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, Durrani Irvin Bay, James Hudson on paper, it was great, but a lot of those guys transfer out. That's just, that's a, that's mm-hmm. an L that's an L. So you can contra- contrast that ranking 
with the production that we've already seen from the 2018 class and kind of the path forward for those that are still to be determined. So I'm going to throw out a list here of guys that I will, I consider hits. And this is mainly a list based on what they've already produced and their, their future Mm -hmm. uh, at Michigan and in the NFL. So number one would have to be Ronnie Bell just because of his production top, top, wide receiver at Michigan next year for mm-hmm. 2020 expected to be one of the major, major players. And especially given he was an unranked two-star Missouri state. Now, if I could like just put in tiny little side comments as you're going through this list, yeah. Ron Bell in terms of being a receiver fits another profile that, that Harbaugh is, is really focused on yeah. multi-sport athletes that, that really haven't been to these camps and have the potential. Yep. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson I have as number two, mainly because I think he's going to be like a top, like uh, first or second round uh, defensive end when he decides to go um, just with his frame and, and everything. He was a highly ranked recruit, but that's a major hit. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, for number three, I would have Cam McGrone, a middle linebacker, obviously. Really? Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is where I think he will be. I think he's going to be a huge player. I think he's maybe a, a third round uh, future pick. But I think he's... I only say really because I, I think there's another almost surefire first rounder in this class. I think there is too. And I, I know exactly... That, that, who, I'm surprised that McGrone is three. I This is a little bit more projection where I think McGrone's impact next year is going to be huge. And okay. then the, the two guys that I also consider major hits that I could see having first round potential would be Jalen Mayfield and Ryan Hayes. Um, Ryan Hayes still needs a little bit of projection. Obviously, he didn't play as much as Mayfield did last year. But they're both guys who uh, Mayfield was a bit more polished out of high school. Hayes was definitely a uh, project that is hitting. Um, but both those guys are are great frame tackles that will be um, multi-year starters unless they leave early. But potential to be multi-year starters and plus starters at that. I agree. And and sort of the the connection I want to I want to build there. I, I have the, almost the exact same list as you. Hmm. I would have flipped McGrone and Mayfield, but sure. that's not that's so um, like minuscule at this point. So Hutchinson, we were just talking about like how Michigan's had like troubles in state. Mm-hmm. Hutchinson, Mayfield, and Hayes, all in-state guys. Yeah. Now the interesting thing that that I think that that really makes me want to make this connection, Aiden Hutchinson, Dearborn. If you look at the 2018 class, like as a whole in the state, Michigan got three of the top 15 guys, yep. or four of the top 15 when you include uh, Ben Van Sumer. Mm-hmm. Okay, Hutchinson, Mayfield, and Hayes, all top five guys. They're from Dearborn, Grand Rapids, and Traverse City. Yep. None of those are Detroit. Right. Okay. Other guys, Kalon Gervin, number two. He went to Michigan State. He's from Cass Tech. Marquand McCall, Oak Park. Uh, I've been out of the state a long time. I don't know if that's considered like a suburb of Detroit or really close to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I, I think it's kind of like a suburb. Yeah, but like right there, Tyrone Sampson, Detroit. Okay, Davian Williams, DeAndre Square, Belleville, Detroit. Um, no, no Detroit. Okay, mm-hmm. this is sort of the the first class where where Harbaugh has has gone away from recruiting guys from Detroit. Because he's kind of gotten burnt. Yeah. Now, that's why I like 2018. Because not only is it a lot better than we think, we can kind of see these trends coming in 
that this this new wave of recruiting that, that he's going. Yeah. He, you can see here he's gotten burned from from guys in Detroit. He didn't get any Detroit kids in, in a top 10 2019 class either. Yeah. So it's not just a, a one-year poor recruiting blip. Um, and then a lot of the guys that, that haven't hit, your, your Mustafa Muhammad, your, your Miles Sims, so some of the, the uh, earmarked guys. Okay. Now, I think you can also take a look at it and say, this is where – and this is how I've, I've garnered a lot of my um, speculation on who's going to be kicking down inside because this class, they recruited a lot of guys to, to move – Inside, you have Taylor Upshaw, 6'5", 240, and Julius Welshaw, 6'6", 245. Both players are guys that, that I think move inside. Yeah. Okay. Luke Schoonmaker, a former quarterback, they recruited as a tight end out of the Northeast, something that, that they really like. So it hits all of these trends yep. that they've been looking for in terms of the, the under-the-radar guys, the lengthy corners, and it's sort of like – the base mark of them switching the recruiting strategy away from necessarily the best player into the best fit. Exactly. Yeah. I think looking back on it, 2018 could be kind of a, a hallmarked Harbaugh class, not necessarily for how good 2018 is, even though I think it's, it's already a lot better than we think, but for the, the decisions and the changes he's made to the program and, and how it impacts the next couple years because it looks like he's getting more uh, developmental guys. And by developmental, I don't need, mean guys that need to sit three years, but maybe guys a year or two away from, from their ideal playing size at a new position. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and really the year where – because Hassan Haskins and Ronnie Bell were both unrated when, when they uh, – on 247 when they committed. Yeah. Okay. Vincent Gray, tall, lengthy corner from um, – the great town of Rochester, Michigan. Yeah. Um, that's where incredible people like Madonna, Jason Veritek, and Harry Hillman have been. <laughs> um, also, Tom Van Heron and, and LaPumas. Uh, LaPumas dogs. If you're ever in Rochester, hit up LaPumas. It's incredible. Um, but sort of what really stood out to me is, is that clear pivot from where they were to where they were going. And you were always going to have like a, a rougher um, like class when you do that. Now, they, they struck out on a lot of New Jersey guys, so I'm not trying to say 2018 was a poor class by design because they struck out on a lot of guys like Tyler Friday or uh, Petit, Nicholas Petit-Freer where they led for and, and they really dropped the ball big time. So it was a poor recruiting class, but I think – that it also caused him to not only change the recruiting strategy, but figure out which coaches really could and couldn't close. You come in the next year, he gets Sharon Moore from Central uh, Michigan. A lot of people thought that was um, to like fix in-state, but then he goes out and he gets Dax Hill because Sharon Moore used to play at Oklahoma. Yep. So he's more of that great Plains recruiter. Yep. And so, so the, the thing I found most interesting was uh, – uh, just really how clear this transition was because I remember on message boards at the time, there are a lot of guys wondering why Michigan wasn't even recruiting Kalen Gervin or Marquand McCall. And Kalen Gervin was kind of like that, oh, they think he's too small to play corner for him. But it's, it's like, is that really it when they just took like Andre Selt? Right. It, so it's like, Marquand McCall, they're like, oh, it's like a grades issue or, or whatever. And he ended up at Kentucky, and he's he's doing pretty well. 
but Tyrone Sampson, they thought, um, could end up there. He was a four-star guy that went to uh, – that was, I believe, committed to Syracuse and then Fresno State. So a lot of, like – so three four-star guys that Michigan didn't even really recruit. Now, that sort of speaks volumes to – I think they really just have identified the fact that there's so much going against them in the um, city of Detroit – that it's not worth it to recruit kind of like the borderline players that they can find equal elsewhere. Yeah. It's yeah. not worth it. Like Tyrone Sampson, it was the 346th best player on 247. That's a good player. Yeah. It, like that's someone that, that you take like, like a lot of the time, yep. but it's not like such a transcendent player that, that you want to risk like, like spending a lot of time and resources on someone that, that you don't think you have as realistic of a shot with. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and Michigan's hitting on a lot of these lower, lower yeah. ranked guy. I mean, Christian Turner was ranked 500. So that's, you know, a, a mid to high three star. He's a great depth running back. He He's a nice off punch. And, and Haskins was ranked, like you said, not even ranked. He's close to a thousand. And he really carried pretty much, he was one of the feature backs last year. Um, and then, like you, you mentioned, uh, Luke Schoenmacher out of Connecticut. That was a, another lower three-star that is producing and projecting really well. Vincent Gray, though he may have some limica- uh, limitations, he was still able to be a contributor. A 700 overall recruit, being a, a contributor as a second-year player, that's well above what you'd expect from that rating, and that's most of these lower lower star guys. So, and then you add in like a Jake Moody who was a plus kicker as well as a part of that class. And and right there between those like those nine players, Bell, Hutchinson, McGrone, Mayfield, Hayes, Haskins, Turner, Schoenmacher, Gray, and Moody. That's half your class just about mm-hmm. right there. And those are guys that are either already contributors or very likely to be um very uh very prominent players of the roster and a fair number of those were, were pretty lowly ranked. So you're hitting very high. The projects themselves are looking pretty optimistic. So that is like Joe Milton. Obviously he's, he was a project that is only now starting to like, you'd expect them a couple of years to come out and, and see. So he's at the very least a, uh, extremely talented, extremely, uh, intriguing backup. Yeah, Michael Barrett, who is looking like the future Viper, he just hasn't really been needed, but he's flashed on special teams. He's flashed in a couple areas. Uh, win the Army game. Yeah, exactly. And and Barrett was, again, he, he was a 750 overall recruit. And then you already you, – what's that? I think he was, uh, he was committed to Georgia Tacker looking to play quarterback. Exactly. Yep. And then, like you said, Upshaw and Welshoff, we knew coming in were going to be projects, and now we're going to see that, both extremely intriguing guys as well. So the only, like, to-be-determines there of those four players, they're all trending in the right direction. They're still with the program, which is very good for these guys who they had a plan for, right? And they probably communicated that, hey, it's going to take a couple of years, and they're still on that path. So that's very good to have where when you are taking those lower rank guys who maybe have more projection, more developmental stages than the other guys, they're still in that path and they're still hitting there. So the only guys that I would say obviously are misses are Mustafa Muhammad, who's now at JUCO, Miles Sims transferred out at Georgia Tech, 
Um, the Green brothers, who haven't really showed up a whole lot in at cornerback or safety. And really then, good special teams players, though. Oh, They've yeah. Really proficient on special teams, where to the point that when you consider their rankings, like I'm willing to, to at least put them closer to the hit category because uh, a mid and low three-star guys being um, consistent special teams uh, players and, and um, very good special teams players, Yeah, I think that, that those are, are guys that – you you kind of need in in your program yeah um like veterans that that busted on special teams and, and worked their way up so sure sure yeah. and i think i think the only negative is that the misses or or even like to be determined or depth players are mainly at safety and cornerback and that's just been an area where michigan has clearly gone gone after hard in in the preceding classes 2019 and 2020 to make up for that but like you said they still add depth so despite being three star and you know they're still in the program so only having two transfers thus far um with more than half the class hitting um it, it's deceptive to look at you know national rank of 22 but you're getting much better projection um or you're getting much better production out of that group than what that 22 if, rank shows and if ronnie bell had gone to all these camps and at least gotten like ranked as a high three star that this class is probably 17 or 18 right so yeah. it's like like you said the only guys I, I would classify as actual misses are the guys that that transferred sims and muhammad and through really no fault of his own ben sam uh ben van sumern yep strictly he was recruited as as a dynamo like fullback h-back following year michigan moves away from that now he's kind of in positional limbo right again no fault of his own uh i wouldn't really call him a miss as much as like uh like kind of missed the boat right where like he kind of missed the boat here and and they're they're really close to this class being considered elite i mean if, if joe milton is what what we think he's going to be like that that could elevate this into like an elite class right um, if, if they like Jalen Mayfield, I think is already um, being looked at as a potential day one or two NFL draft pick. He played really well against Chase Young, and, and granted, he got a lot of help, but a lot of offensive tackles have gotten more help and performed worse against a, a generational pass rusher. Yeah. Ryan Hayes has looked really good. He could be a, the future at left tackle. Um, Hassan Haskins, I wouldn't call him like a full blown stud yet. But has produced really well. I'd, I'd feel comfortable calling Haskins a hit. Oh, 100%. There's another, there's another level that, that he can take, I think. Oh, yeah. Really elevates him from hit into, like, oh, God. Shoemaker will be seeing the field now. He's 6'6". He was listed at 225, but I would imagine he's closer to 260 now yeah. with how I know they like to use it. Barrett will be, like you said, stepping in at Viper, and and they're very high on him. And then it comes down to – if they can turn Welshoff or um, or Upshaw into a a hit plus, so not just like a hit, but a hit plus, I think this class kind of then elevates itself into possibly Harbaugh's best class at Michigan for when you take into account this hasn't had the same issue in terms of retention as some of his other classes have. Right. I think that's some of the issue with, 2016 2017 and, and how their team struggled they had a lot of retention so they had a lot of young guys on the depth chart playing um uh, like the scout team roles that, that really weren't ready to uh like contribute and so like that that kind of like 
lowers the talent level throughout the program. So I think the fact that they they were able to fill a lot of gaps, they're able to get a lot of good program character guys here. I get more and more excited, and, and like most people, I, I was a little bummed out about the uh, the 2018 class um, because of where it was ranked. But looking like back on it in hindsight. It, it's exciting. That's kind of why I wanted to give 2018 like it's it's share because of their top seven commits, they're they're probably going to get massive, massive, massive hits yeah. on four of their top seven, with two of them being misses and one of them being like a like a massive question mark. Will where he'll either be a massive hit or be out of the program in a year, right? As a grad transfer, and that'd be Joe Milton. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And and they're they're just their hit rate on the on the lower ranked guys should buy them a lot of a lot more credit than it currently is and i think that's where my frustration lies where if michigan's taking a you know 800 ranked guy out of connecticut i'm willing to give them that that pass that some people may not and i think like just show them this class and and that should be enough to to buy them that sort of trust. So especially when you take those like lower ranked guys and they're at positions of slightly decreased positional value. Yeah. A lot of inside linebackers, interior offensive linemen and fullbacks and tight ends. Yep. They're not getting the 30th best wide receiver in the state of Connecticut. They're getting the guys that they know have the academics and the character to develop into positions that require less athleticism that they can work with. Yep. Okay, Casey Finney being a prime example. Uh, big, thick body. Doesn't look like an insane athlete, but a good athlete. But if you're able to find a role for him where that role is playing two-down linebacker and, and blitzing quite a bit, it's it's that's a hit. If right. you know how to utilize that guy, like who cares what the recruiting rankings say? Sure, he may be a less talented player than Jamari Boot. Okay, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. But if you feel more comfortable that you can bring Casey Finney in and you can like chisel out the role for him to be successful and with zero problems, whereas Jamari Budin, you kind of, and by the way, I'm not trying to say anything against Jamari Budin. He's just a highly rated, a higher rated in state example that plays linebacker. Okay. Whereas if Jamari Budin, if like you're having, like a bit of trouble like with recruiting him and then it's you know what i'm fine with taking finney and they didn't take finney over him so i hope no one gets that um no one gets that impression from that last like couple minutes so like the guys they're getting from the northeast and then like some defensive linemen that i think they're trying to move inside but there's not I mean, I guess Massachusetts, they're, they're going with, like, the skill guys, which I'm fine with because Massachusetts is a lot bigger than Connecticut. Yeah. Yep. That's that's a, a, a good summation to uh, to end on here. We went we went way too long. We'll have to save our top five 30 for 30s for another day, Harry. But uh, appreciate the conversation here. I think we, we covered a lot here. So hopefully we'll, we'll cover some top fives next episode. But uh, any any final words from you, Harry, on this Sunday afternoon? Um, wear sunscreen. <laughs> I, uh, I got pretty sunburned yesterday. I started up a lawn care company with my best friend, and my hands are, like, fried. So, um, so wear sunscreen. Um, I don't care how tough you are. 
the sun is much, much tougher. The sun will mess you up. The sun will mess you up. So wear sunscreen, uh, be safe. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. <laughs> Enjoy quarantine, people. Yeah, there you go. Wear sunscreen, wear a mask, uh, wear your favorite Snuggie, and stay inside. <laughs> Do you own a Snuggie? Uh, yes. <laughs> a shameless, a shameless yes from Harry. Yes, All right. <laughs> All right, Harry, you can find Harry on Twitter at Harrison Quinn 90. Yes. At Harrison Quinn 90. You can find me on Twitter at Steven Toski. You can follow MGoFish at MGoFish for everything MGoFish related. All right, Harry, have a good rest of your Sunday and we will talk soon, sir. Go blue. Talk soon, Steven. Go blue. <laughs>